Today's podcast is brought to you by Glass Eyes Online. Glass Eyes Online is your go-to source for glass eyes, plastic safety eyes and noses, joints, and insertion tools for your creative projects. Use their eyes, noses, and joints in sewing, crochet, needle felting, amigurumi, knitting, sculpture, wood carving, puppetry, teddy bear and doll making, and many other arts and crafts projects. Glass Eyes Online is a family-owned and operated business located in the Low Country, South Carolina, that ships worldwide. Jerry handcrafts the insertion tools and paints the iridescent and sparkle eyes himself. Use the code ABBY1017 to get free shipping on your $25 order in October. That's ABBY1017. Thank you so much, Glass Eyes Online. And now, here's the show. episode 107 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we are talking about building a successful career in quilting with my guest, Eleanor Burns. Eleanor is truly a star in the quilting industry. She entered the field in 1978 with a self-published book, Make a Quilt in a Day, Log Cabin Pattern. Her innovative techniques and strip piecing made quilting possible for busy sewers and remains very popular today. Eleanor's signature technique is to take time-treasured patterns and then make them quick and easy to sew with new methods. In 1990, Eleanor pioneered the way people view quilt making with her Quilt in a Day television series, which still broadcasts nationwide. She continues to be a highly sought after teacher and demonstrates her patterns and techniques on the Quilt in a Day website, on live streaming webinars, and on YouTube. In 1998, Eleanor designed her first fabric collection, Anniversary Florals, with Benartex. She's designed several more since then and has also collaborated in designing several special edition sewing machines. To date, Eleanor has published over 150 books and patterns and created numerous quilt rulers, templates, and tools. Eleanor Burns, welcome. Good morning, Abby. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you. And I want to just start by telling you a quick little story. So in the summer of 1996, when I was a junior in college, I took a class at G Street Fabrics in Rockville, Maryland. It was a quilt in a day class, um, making the around the world quilts. And I have the book that was part of that class sitting right here next to me, and you wrote it. Um, And that was my very first exposure to quilting. I made a blue and yellow baby quilt that day, and I loved absolutely everything about the experience. And I gave that quilt in 2004 when I had our daughter to her when she was born. So your um, techniques and your patterns have played a role in my own life. And I know in the lives of so many people who will be listening to this show. So thank you for that. Oh, I'm really grateful. 
It's funny, Abby, the Mm -hmm. first quilt that I also made was yellow and blue, but it was a log cabin. Ah, (laughs) interesting. Yeah, we still have it. It's in her bedroom and um, it's just something that I really cherish. So you really played a part in my life um, for sure. And so I want to go back to your early life to start. And I know you were born in Pennsylvania. Is that right? Right. In a small town called Zillianople. There were only 78 in my graduating class. There was just one narrow street to cross Main Street, and I was even hesitant to do that back then. But it was a great childhood I had. Um, There were four girls and one boy. My mom taught us to sew, but she never made quilts. But she did teach us how to make doll clothes and dresses and everything like that. And I I love sewing from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So much fun. Okay. So she taught you how to sew. And I know you had like a like a little toy sewing machine maybe when you were a kid. <laughs> I did. We we were uh Patty and I, my younger sister, were um both given that sewing machine. And it was a little hand crake singer. Of course I still have it. But Patty actually announced on national television that I hogged the machine all the time <laughs> and never gave her an opportunity to use it. That's so funny. Okay. So so you so you learned to sew at an early age and were you kind of a a creative kid or a crafty kid or what did you like to do just for you know for fun as a child what do you remember or enjoying right we we were very crafty we made um little things for our other cousins my one other cousin uh carol ann slepik and i made these all funny triangle dolls with long legs on them. We always made Easter baskets. There was always something. We got this magazine called Pack of Fun, and it was lots of fun to do. That's so funny. Interesting. Pack of Fun. I haven't heard of that one. Okay. Oh, yeah. Old magazine. Okay, great. So you guys used to do that. And then you went to Edinburgh State College, and you wanted to become a teacher. I not only wanted to, I did. I taught special education in the Pittsburgh school system. Um, I taught professionally for six years. And at the same time that I was teaching, I was hired to write curriculum. And I feel that's where my teaching skills began. And never did I know, you know, that a couple of years later, I'd be writing quilting books. Yeah. And, you know, that was probably, I mean, you're a natural teacher. It's very clear when you uh, watch you on television and see the way that you interact with the camera and demonstrate what you're showing, um, your patience and your ability to break things down into smaller steps. And um, I know, oh, I've read somewhere that you are dyslexic. I am. I, I'm very backwards. We, I think we all picked it up from my mom. Her, her name was Irma. And every time we do something backwards, we say, oh, no, another Irma-ism. But <laughs> I think it seems like all of us are a little dyslexic. And at least it, it really makes me challenged to get things right. You know, I have to make sure I don't get my illustrations all turned around and my words correct and such. But yeah, I get bumbled up quite Mm -hmm. often. Right. But your proof that you can still do so well writing technical instructions um, and demonstrating something quite technical, such as quilting, despite sort of that learning challenge. 
Right. Um, okay, great. So you taught special education. Can you tell us like what kinds of kids were in your class or what grade? Um, I taught it. Terms have changed uh, now, but whenever I was teaching, we evaluated our kids as educable. They had IQs from 75 to 50 or trainable, which was under 50. And that is a group that I taught. They were um, they were young teenagers, mostly 14 to 18 year olds. I had children with brain damage. I had mongoloids. I had uh, some children with um, cerebral palsy, uh, microcephalic, um, almost any anything under uh, 50 IQ. I had them, and um, I really learned then you know, how to be, be patient and, and understanding. I, um, I worked with some disruptive, abusive children and you just have to keep calm and carry on. Yeah. I'm sure that those skills that you learned then sort of, you know, help to shape you and carry through even to what you're doing now. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I, I have a degree in education and was a school teacher as well. So I can relate to what you're saying for sure. Um, okay, so then after teaching for a little while, you got married in uh, 1967 and had your son Grant and then uh, moved, it sounds like, from the East Coast to the West Coast. Absolutely. I think I was dragged here, <laughs> but I am here now in California. My two sons, my five grandchildren are all here, so I'm staying. Okay, yeah. great. So so you moved to California and you had your second son, Orion. Um, right. And um, and it was there that you first got introduced to quilting because you needed a job. Um, exactly. So tell us the story of how that that first job came about and and became a quilting job. That's for sure. Well, I um, I needed a job because my husband Bill went back to law school and we went from a two teacher income to a zero income. So since I didn't have a teaching credential here in California, I decided I would try Parks and Rec. I had become very efficient in um, stretch and sew techniques. I was making all of my polyester knit dresses while I was teaching in uh, in Pittsburgh. And uh, I thought, oh, I'll just go to Parks and Rec, tell them I want to be a stretch and sew teacher. And that's when I first realized that is a franchise. And I really could not do that without uh, working through stretch and sew. So that turned me down. They turned me down in Parks and Rec, but they said, you know, it's it's uh, 76. It's the bicentennial. Everybody wants to make a quilt. And can't you teach quilting? So I knew how to sew, but never made a quilt. So I, d- I just needed that job desperately. So I went home and I looked in a magazine and I uh, pulled out two patchwork pillows and I made them that night. And I went in the next day feeling really uptown and said, you know, look, I can teach quilting. And um, they trusted me. I was new to town, so they wrote this article in the newspaper. It said a new quilting teacher came to town and everybody sign up now. And, you know, overnight I had 90 students and I just realized the power of the newspaper. So now I had 90 students and I made two pillows 
and I had like series. I had some series that I had to set up. So I just got into it. Right. And so, (laughs) right. And, and I think sometimes that pressure of being like, okay, great. Now everybody's enrolled. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to (laughs) learn. It's good pressure. Exactly. Well, Orion was still a baby then. He really was just a couple months old when I started. And he will tell you that if he wouldn't have been such a crybaby, that quilt in a day would have never existed. Huh. But but I had to, um, he was the kind of baby that cried a lot. And I had to carry him on the front pack or the backpack and do my vacuuming and everything like that along with him. And um, then when I put him down for a nap, I would run into my sewing room and I knew I'd have maybe an hour or two. And that's when I just came up with the whole description of pedal to the metal. And I really would move. And that's when I had to start thinking, okay, oh my gosh, got to figure this out quick. I just can't do this traditional ways. There has to be a quicker way. And that's how I really started all of it, just this pressure. Um, Orion was with me then, he's with me now, and he's the general manager of the company. Right. And I think, you know, obviously this podcast is called While She Naps, and I completely relate (laughs) to what you're saying because that's exactly how my own business was born. And I think it's the Uh same story that so many of us have experienced in our lives. And I do feel like that pressure of knowing, okay, nap time is maybe an hour and a half, um, better get in there and get going versus sort of not having so much of a time limit on how much, you know, you can spend on something. It's actually really positive, even though we might push against it at the time. Right. You know, so, okay. So you, uh, you worked essentially like a, a week ahead of your class developing these, yes. Yes. <laughs> these projects and, and lessons. And, um, and I know that there was um, at some point here, like a visit to a square dance costume outlet. Um, is there- oh, yes. <laughs> so tell us well, what happened in the revelation you had at this, this dance costume outlet. Absolutely. That's interesting that you, you know that information. Well, of course, we were broke. We didn't have any money, maybe $5 a week to spend on groceries. So I couldn't go out and buy yardage for my quilting project. So there was this square dance facility in my area that actually made patchwork square dance clothes and they would take strips to get as strips and sometimes overlay lace and rickrack and different things like that and they would uh, actually sew strips together the length of a skirt a long skirt and then um, they would cut those into sections. I mean, it was exactly what we're doing today, exactly what you did in a trip around the world, you know, making a tube and cutting it into a section. And up to that point, I had never even thought about doing that. And so that was my revelation as I stood there with my brown paper sack full of 50 cents worth of scraps that just, you know, got me going. Yeah. So just like seeing their construction method, you thought, okay, I could do that for quilting. Because up until that time, I mean, I know there wasn't a whole lot of quilting books and media on the market, but there was a little bit. So how were quilts being made before you came up with this strip piecing idea? Well, basically, 
they were made just cutting individual squares and sewing them together row by row. And so right away I started doing the strip piecing and then I sew long vertical rows and then going across the other way to get my um, get my quilting done. There, there was one other story I want to share with you, Abby. Please, absolutely. Maybe you heard about this one. We were great dumpster diggers when we were young. Um, my children and I, um, the boys wore these OP shorts, corduroy shorts all the time. They're big in California. I know they showed up in Pennsylvania in the winter wearing their OP shorts. But we found out that um, OP had a great dumpster near us here in Oceanside. And um, the the janitor caught on to me. I, he caught me checking it out one time and he got to the point where he would call me and say, Mrs. Burns, there's a great load going in the dumpster today. You've got to get here. And so my sons and I would go there. Orion was little. So we would just kind of hoist him in and Grant and I would stay on the ground and catch the the scraps as they threw out. But it was when I took, they, they had a roll um, that they attached all of the pockets to. So if you, we got hold of one strip and just pulled it out of the dumpster, we could pull out hundreds of pockets attached to the waistband. And that's when I started thinking about the log cabin, this assembly line technique, you know, how you you make basically flags and just sew them together onto the strips and then cut them apart. But um, we still have some corduroy quilts made out of those dumpster waistbands. They're in all beautiful colors, yellow and red and beige and brown, blue. And I think it's one of Orion's favorite quilts. That's amazing. And just the idea of him in this dumpster throwing fabric down to you guys, that's really something else. So um, it's interesting, too, to think about how you are looking at other, you know, fabric manufacturing or garment making and applying some of the things that you were seeing to quilting, which was not, had not been done before, all in the name of making quilting faster and something that busy women could do. Right. Um, Okay. So this process and these classes that you were teaching led to a book, um, the very first book, which was a self-published book. Um, So tell us a little bit about the making of that first book. I was teaching in Parks and Rec, and I just had this little, this concept of how to make a log cabin quilt. And every time I taught the class, we would come up with an even faster idea to add on to it. And um, it just kept on evolving. The the concept kept on evolving. And people started telling me that they enjoyed the class so much. They were calling and telling their relatives on, you know, the East Coast about how they made this quilt. And they really just begged me to write a book so that they could share it with their other friends and family. And that's really all it's, it, it happened. I, I just said, oh my gosh, you know, here I am. I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I, I have two small kids. I, I don't have time to do this. But uh, my husband sat down with an ink pen 
And he looked at my, I would show my samples and he drew them with the ink pen. And um, there's even one page in that first edition where I was showing how to sew the quilt together. He's drawing it. He wanted to draw a hand and I wasn't, I wasn't handy. So he put out his own hand and his own that little thumb and he ink drew this um, masculine hand holding the block. And so that is how you can tell the first edition. If you look for, I always say, look for the man's hand and you will know that is the first edition. We um, just had separate pages. Kinko's was new at the time. Um, We just took these masters that he had drawn with ink and we ran off and first we photocopied maybe 10 and then we photocopy 25 and the number kept on growing that we were photocopying as I was teaching classes and growing and then all of a sudden you know I was no longer photocopying I hired a professional uh, artist a woman she redid the second edition with a very slender female hand holding this block so you can tell the difference between the editions of my books and it just kept on growing. I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Carolyn at Glass Eyes Online. My name is Carolyn and the name of our business is GlassEyesOnline.com. And what is GlassEyesOnline.com? We sell glass eyes, plastic safety eyes and noses and joints for all different kinds of craft projects. We got started in the business because Jerry really needed some high quality glass eyes for his decoy carvings. Initially, he was selling his glass eyes to carvers, but gradually he expanded his customer base to teddy bear makers and doll artists. And they required different kinds of eyes and noses, as you can well imagine, and joints. He would show me the photos that customers uh, would send him. He was always excited to get photos from customers. And um, I was just amazed at the creativity and the talent of these uh, artists and crafters in the finished products using Jerry's eyes and noses and joints. So I felt the need to showcase this work and I created um, a customer creation site. I actually built it. I wanted to showcase their work and also put information for artists and crafters uh, about the different types of medium that the eyes could be used in and the noses and joints. Uh Then one one day, I do have a little mini story. One day, Martha Stewart was interviewing one of our customers on national television, and she asked her where she got her eyes for her needle-felted koala bear. And the customer said, well, I got my eyes from glasseyesonline.com. Well, after that broadcast, things really grew for us because we started incorporating a lot of different customers using different types of mediums. That's really cool. What a- It was. It was very exciting for us. And I went full time into the business after that. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I really appreciate it. And I'm really excited about Glass Eyes Online. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank you so much, Glass Eyes Online. And now back to my conversation with Eleanor. And so how did people outside of your circle 
you know, your personal circle of people who actually took your class and knew you, how did they hear about it? Was it just friends telling friends and then did they mail order or how did that work? Very early on, I did take an ad out. I think the book came out in um, like, uh, let me think, November of 78. And I think in maybe January of the next year, I had just a little black and white ad in Family Circle magazine. Just a very small thing back in the back of the book. And right beside it, there was this ad for toilets that flush up. So I'll never forget all of the all of the orders that I got those first couple of years. They were with quilt in a day and toilets that flush up. My gosh. So first I did it with that ad and then um I decided to do some traveling. And at that point, I had hired uh, one of my best friends, Jerry Packer, to work out in my um, fourth bedroom, my spare bedroom. We set up a little uh, shipping department out in my garage on top of Orion's changing table. We didn't need that anymore. And we hung a map in the office. And every time I sold a book by mail order, we would put a little thumbtack there. And we kept an eye on our thumbtacks. And then there came a point I would look at the map and say, look, nobody in New England has ever heard of Quilt in a Day. So I would fly in there with a box of books, teach. I would go to a, to a quilt shop and um, teach, sell my books fly home with an empty box. And so for a couple of years, we did that. I did that from 78 to 83, um, teaching in other people's quilt shops and just doing direct um, mail and a little bit of advertising in the back of quilt magazines. But in, in 83, I moved into this building that I'm still in. It's a three-unit uh, warehouse um, but um, it it just we just had one unit at the time, mm-hmm. and then it just kept on growing and growing. And every time we needed more space, we would rent another unit and cut the hole through. And now, of course, I've I've owned the building now for many years. But it just you know it was just a pretty simple business plan, uh, simple marketing. Just a couple of people doing it, and it's amazing, you know, to think to think what's happened in all those years. Yeah, and it's interesting when you told that story about the map and putting the thumbtacks. What I thought you were going to say is you would look at the thumbtacks and see where they were clustered, and then you would right. fly to where they were clustered so you would meet oh. your fans. But what you no. did was totally the opposite, and I no. think that's such a great lesson. No, but then there is a story about meeting my fans. So I got to the point where I was tired of flying around. I think that was that was about in 87. And I just, oh, I would crawl into a plane. You know, when you're a mom, you you know, you sit down with your plane and you go, your plane seat and you go, oh my gosh, I miss my kids. And so I decided that I would go on television. I was no longer going to travel. I was going to go on television. And fortunately, I was 
accepted first by the Learning Channel. We didn't even have professional cameras, but um, that all came along. I went on um, the Learning Channel. Well, and let's, let's talk a little bit about that very first um, television experience. So yes. the, the <laughs> first one was in, in 1990. So it sounds like you were, you were tr- tired of traveling, which can be very exhausting. And it's especially hard when you have young children. And um, and right. so um, so you have this show, Quilt in a Day, which is sort of built on this Quilt in a Day book concept. And um, and before we actually get there, did, did you eventually begin working with a mainstream publisher or was this always a self-publishing outfit? I'm still a self-publishing outfit. Wow. I think that's I, really unusual. Like you've self-published this entire time? I, I have. Well, I have an art department. I, of course, you keep on growing. So now I, I've had my same artist illustrate my books. Every time I ask him, he kind of counts it mentally in his head. But um, I think he's been with me probably 32 years. Wow. That's that's wonderful. And I, you know, it's interesting because I feel like um, people are going back to self-publishing now as, as a better way um, to sort of con- keep control of things and also for just overall profitability, but you've been, you've been there the whole time and have, you're an example of a success when it comes to self-publishing. Well, I think that it was also the times in, when I started with Quilt in a Day, there were very few quilt books out there, very few. And so it was easy for me to introduce my book and the word spread fast because they felt it was revolutionary. But um, now I, there are so many books, you know, that are, are coming out each month. When I started with Quilt Market, maybe there were two or three other quilt books that would come out each, each, um, oh, every, every month or so, mm-hmm. maybe not even that often. Right. The but, market was much, much smaller. It's, it's so, um, it's so different now. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So, so, um, the idea for television, was it somebody who suggested that to you and said, Hey, here's a solution. Here's something new you could no. try. Or did you kind of come up with that idea that, Hey, I want to be no. on TV. I did. I, I came up with the idea. It was just because I thought that I could stay at home and, you know, not travel so much and do it. Um, so actually, my my first marriage ended and um, the friend I had said, oh, you know, well, I can help you get on television. You know, we can do this. And we actually it was a, a young girl who took on the project as her college project to get me on television. And that is, that's what she did. So she met you, she met you and said, this is something you should do and I'll help you. Well, no, I asked her to help me. I see. And, and she learned it. It was actually the daughter of my accountant and she had this project and she just was very diligent about it and just did a lot of, we had done a, Oh, probably uh, some intro tapes. And at the, you know, the time the equipment was one inch, well, we didn't even have broadcast equipment here. And once we were told that we could be on the learning channel, Nancy Zeman and I started about the same time. And um, we had to go about and purchase uh, broadcast equipment equipment and set up a whole studio. Uh, the building that I moved into uh, when we were 
looking for real estate, I picked a building that was out of um, uh, all of the airplane noise. There wasn't a, a path above me. And so I knew that I could have a sound studio. And that's what I'm sitting in right now. I'm sitting in my sound control room. Got it. Okay. So, so we, yeah. So this was really a, again, completely <laughs> self-produced, done by um, a student, essentially. You went out and right. bought a camera, made these sort of test right. uh, exactly. films, and then and then went and bought a better camera. And how did you um, connect with the Learning Channel? Did you just send off some tapes? She, exactly. She, that's exactly what she did. She uh, just sent out some tapes and um, we started first on the learning channel and then we had to really scurry around. We were trying to do uh, new programs every week and that was hard, you know, not really knowing what we were doing. But then I had to keep on writing books quickly so I would have something to sell. And then then there's the whole other end of it. Then all of a sudden you have people calling on the telephone and you have to put in a staff that's going to answer the phone, take the orders. There were many Saturdays that I sat in the office and answered the phone myself and took the order. And they go, oh my gosh, I'm talking to Eleanor herself? Yeah, I don't have the staff. So all of those things, you know, you just keep on growing and growing. Yeah. And, so it sounds and, like um, it sounds like the, the TV appearances, even when you were just on the learning channel, sort of right. launched the business or made the business grow at a, exactly. at a rate that was much large, much higher rate than it would have otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then um, Learning Channel changed their program format and both Nancy and I were dropped and um, the Learning Channel basically called and said, call off your your animals. They're they're so bugging us. They want you. They want you. Well, PBS, they started calling PBS. My viewers started calling PBS and saying that they um could no longer get me on the learning channel, the PBS should pick me up. And then that was a whole other big change when we started uplinking using a satellite system to uplink one program a week and any PBS station around the country could downlink it. And at that point, I went to 300 PBS stations around the country. Wow. So great. So, so there was like a letter writing campaign where Thousands oh, yes. of your fans wrote to PBS. Was it in Nebraska? Exactly. Was Nebraska the first? Pick? I think so. Yes. Okay. The, the, the Nebraska um, program director said, oh boy, call off your quilters. These ladies are militant. <laughs> but they just wanted it. They just, they loved it. I, I feel very fortunate that I always do teach traditional quilts. So, most of my programs haven't really gone old. Just I'm the only one that's grown old. The techniques and the looks of the quilts are still so popular. Right. So that the the information or the the episodes are almost like an evergreen because you can they're just as good now as they were then. Right. Right. And it's, I and I've heard that people said that they wanted their L kick. Um, so, so what do you think that they're referring to when they say an L kick? Well, that's how, what I said, the TV, uh, 
did not save me. It made me even more demand more uh, personal appearances all over again. So for many years, I wouldn't go anywhere. And then, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, I let go again and said, okay, I'll go on the road. And um, I never have tried to keep track of how many I've done. It's a little frightening, but one year I decided to count and I counted 93 strange beds that I slept in that year. Wow. And I think, you know, one of the things that people may not realize is how much hard work goes into that and how much sacrifice as well. Yeah. You know, that it it may look very polished um, and easy, but it's not easy in the background, I'm sure. And I know, I mean, you were a working mom. You were a single, a single mom and a working mom mm-hmm. throughout much of this. When uh, you and Bill got divorced, the, the kids were still pretty young. They were. And so you were, were very young. you were the breadwinner for, for the family and, and the kids went along with you and, and worked along with you. And my, I had one sister, Judy, who moved in with me and helped take care of the kids. Aunt Judy was very helpful. And then my one sister, Patty, also helped us, too. And they moved, so, they moved from other parts of the country to be with you. Yes. Yes, they did. They, mm-hmm. they moved to California, too. Mm-hmm, to be with you. And we'll talk a little bit later about what it is in the business that they ended up doing because it's really a family affair. Um, so, and, and so were your kids in daycare or did they, were they cared for by aunts? Um, they, well, they, they, um, just, they were in elementary school Okay, and Judy was at home, you know, after they came to school, she was there to put them, uh, to get them, you know, to school. Uh Uh-huh. But, but uh, it was, it was hard for me to be gone for so long. It was just like, ugh. Yeah, it's but, a lot. But I have, to, I have to say, though, Abby, I really do love teaching and I love being with the people. I love being with my students. I could be really tired and and just like, oh, my gosh, I'm dragging. But when you start getting with people that are so happy, the quilters just they're always so full of fun and you know, we always have a great time together and that just rejuvenates me and keeps me going. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's a calling in a, in a way, you know, it's something that you thrive on and that's important to your psyche to feel like you're contributing and like this is, you're doing what it is you were meant to do. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I, I know people have said, I, I think there's some resonance when, when you watch um, Eleanor Burns on television with Julia Child in a way in which... Um, <laughs> That's funny. I, I, would, I watched a little... So, so you always throw your scraps behind you. So yes. if you're, you're cutting, you're trimming, and, and there's a little extra fabric that's been cut off, you just pick it up and you throw it over your shoulder behind you with this big smile on your face. And that's like your signature move. And I watched exactly. a, a video where they'd spliced all of those together from a whole bunch of different <laughs> shows and you just throw in the fabric behind you. And I wondered how that started and, and what kind of message it sends. Well, the message is, of course, enjoy your quilting and don't take it so seriously. Just, you know, put a big smile on your face. But it goes back to, oh, gosh, my book was probably only... Uh, two years old, and there is um, 
a ski resort area here in um, California called Big Bear. And there was a quilt shop in Big Bear. The owner said, you know, our ladies... Um, often come into the shop while their their family is out on the slope skiing. And uh, the ladies come in and they want to make something instead of going out and ski. And they said, why don't you come to Big Bear and make a little video and we'll have that video in our store. So um, the ladies can just come in, play the video, see how to make it. You'll be the teacher and they'll just sit there and make the quilt. And have a good time. So I went. I went to Big Bear. But being that type of community, the cameraman that they hired for me was one that would go out on the slopes and take video of the whole family. So it wasn't a real professional studio. I just had a table, a chair, my sewing machine, his camera, his tripod. Just he and I in this very small room. And so I went in and I started setting up my fabric for my lesson and had my sewing all ready to go. And and I taped up a plastic bag beside my sewing table with a piece of scotch tape because I didn't know what I was going to do with my trash. So I was just getting ready. And the cameraman looked at that plastic bag taped to the table and he said, oh, man, that looks like crap. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do with it? And he said, I don't know, and I don't care. Just get rid of that plastic bag. So I did. So the first time I cut a strip and I had it in my hand and I'm going, what am I going to do with this? I decided to just throw it over my shoulder and I could see the cameraman smiling behind his camera. He had a real big smile on it. Oh, well, that works. So the next time I did it again, I just kept on cutting and throwing and he totally enjoyed it. So I said, okay, fine. He can enjoy it. Everybody will enjoy it. So that's what I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is enjoyable. I mean, it makes you feel like don't worry about it. You know, I, yeah, exactly. right. yeah. And, and, you know, quilting, because it can be, it's easy to get caught up in the exactness and having exactly, exactly a quarter inch seam, exactly matching points. Right. And that can kind of steal your joy to a certain degree. Exactly. And I think yeah. what your message is, is, you know, just get in there and do it and don't worry right. so much. Right. Yeah. And, and that comes through and that, and that, that little move, it's an important one. So, um, is it true that you coined the term fussy cut? Is that, is that true? Well, we're not sure. Um, it was probably my sister Patty that coined it. She is definitely more fussy than I am, but, um, it's, People have called and asked us, and we, we don't know. But fussy cut, she does definitely. We even have fussy cut rulers now, and um, I call her the queen of fussy cut. Uh huh. And do you remember when that first, you know, the idea? And obviously, fussy cut is when you're particularly placing where you're going to cut out a shape to get a certain print on, you know, from the fabric that you'll be showing. And was right. that something that you know she came up with, or do you remember when that started to be a word or a phrase you used? I don't remember. Okay, but she, she may have come up with it. We're we're uncertain. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a great term, you know, and it's it's one of those ones like I love the term, um, you know, I love the, the name in the sewing machine for feed dogs. It's another like great sewing term. It just is so fun. Like it's such a neat, you know, sort of it brings up a, an a idea in your imagination. I love words like that. So Fussy Cut's a good one. And, and one thing that really strikes me about you and just watching, you know, your videos and even listening to you talk. Um, today on this podcast is that you're a great storyteller and it seems like you really relish telling stories. And I wondered, you know, the importance of storytelling for being a good teacher. Mm-hmm. I I think um, that really lightens it. It reduces the tension in my students. And and I, I love doing one-liners, you know, just not really planned, but just let them pop out. But Yes, I um, think I um, find that it takes away the tension and and it brings them closer to you and they feel more they feel more intimate. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I sometimes I feel like I'm a little too honest, but anyhow. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's great. And I also think maybe stories help people remember things, you know, they oh, help. They do. Yeah, I I always uh, think that humor helps them stay awake and pay more attention to. Mm-hmm. And you're also very, very positive and warm. Um, and I wondered, I mean, I, I think that's, which is wonderful. And, but I wonder if there's things that ever get you down. I mean, do you ever have a down day? It just seems like, you know, you're always so up. Not with my students. I don't have a down day. Um, I can always, um, you know, snap out of it quick and get up there. And then I go away feeling a lot happier myself. But um, I do get overwhelmed about uh, my schedule and what I need to accomplish in a certain amount of time. And then, you know, I just have to dig in and get going at it and it's over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And somehow that pulls you, pulls you through. Um, And it sounds like teaching and being with students lifts you. Um, Absolutely. Right. Which is wonderful. So let's go back to your sisters for a second. So we talked about Judy and Patty who moved. So Judy moved from Pennsylvania to help you care for your children. And, and does she play a role in the business? You know, Judy has passed on. She passed on young, but she played a very, very important role in the business. She became my, um, operator for the wholesale orders and she was so good at recognizing a a quilt shop's voice and I don't I don't even think that she made notes of what to chat about but um she would answer the phone all day long she took the wholesale orders and then delivered them to her shipping department but they loved her and um it was just that same thing, that warm welcome, you know, so glad to take your order and how are you? Mm-hmm. And she did that for many, many years. Um, and then my sister Patty is, um, she lives very close to me. In fact, we were sharing my house together for um, most recently. But she um, is a professional art teacher and uh, she is so good with color. 
And I rely on her to help me with my fabric lines. And um, I always say, Patty, I'm the engineer. You're the color expert. You just go pick me colors and I'll put it together. But she uh, also traveled and taught. She says she's retired, but (laughs) she's even asking me to write a new book so she can get out on the road again next year. (laughs) And So I don't know. (laughs) Does she help with the rulers as well? Yes. Uh For a while, it was a business that she and her um, husband shared. Her husband passed early, too. And then the rulers came back to quilt in a day. But yes, we're always designing things that we think are going to make the actual process and assembling the quilt easier to do. And it's, it's great. You know, it's really fun to design these new products that, oh, we're just so excited because we save time and have more accuracy. Mm-hmm. So yes, she does that too. But she she also loves to teach. Uh, she, she would leave home and travel by car. She would go back to the East Coast and travel for like three months. We still have a brother in Pennsylvania and she would use uh, Pennsylvania as her drop-off point and head north and south, clear to Florida. And then um, in the winter, she travels um, east. She'll go to Montana and, um, oh, Idaho, lots of Arizona, all different places from this end of the country. And she's teaching quilt in a day techniques. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. She, she always... She takes my um, my directions, my ideas, and she always adds her own touch. And you know, we have we're sisters, so she goes, "Oh, L, they always tell me they like my quilts better." <laughs> That's funny. Um, I, I have three daughters, so I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Um, and, and then your, your son, Orion is also working in the business as well. So what role is he playing? He he is working really hard. He has, he has updated the company. I was quite simple only with my own books and rulers, but he is, um, a distributor of many different people's products and, um, patterns, books. He takes care of the social media for me. I mean, he's just unbelievable how he's, you know, advanced the company. And um, he's the general manager. I feel really grateful to have him. He does all the things that I don't want to do, Uh like hire and fire and get it all, everything organized. There's there's probably, um, there's maybe 35 people that work for the company. And um, he's got a lot to manage. Yeah. And it's wonderful to have a next generation who's truly dedicated and wants mm-hmm. wants this business and wants to do right. this. Right. Yeah. And who you can work with um, and train and pass on your mission and your right. your vision, which is, is wonderful. Right. And then your son, Grant, has a skateboarding business. Yes. And he's extremely successful. Um, He manufactures around 5,000 boards a day in his plant in Mexico. And he has a second building right up next to me now, too. I'm quite excited about that. But um, 
he's he has learned to uh, branch off and do other things with his wood. I I get really excited. This is what he said one time. They said, Grant, how did you learn all of this? And he said, Well, my mom never told me, but I just watched her. And it just it makes me feel so proud. Yeah, I know, and that's wonderful. It's a a wonderful thing about being a working mom, you know, for all of the guilt about right. not not being there every every minute and for every milestone. Um, the example that you set, the living example of just being somebody who's working hard and is dedicated, and and they see you doing that, and it does right. rub off, right. Yeah, which is which is really nice, and I get the sense that you're sort of the matriarch in a way. <laughs> Am I in right? More, in more ways. Well, than like one. Christmas time, is everybody at uh, your house? Right. right, I'm the only one that knows how to make the turkey <laughs> <laughs> and the German stolen and all of these things. Yes, I they all come to my house, and I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. And are you still making these Quilt in a Day videos or when did that stop? You know, I do um, videos monthly. Um, Lately, not as many PBS stations are airing me. The number has dropped and for, you know, for everybody, the number has dropped maybe to only 100 or so. I'm doing live programs every month for Block Party and for AccuQuilt, um, the second Tuesday of every month, I shoot a new program in my studio. People can watch it live or they can watch it on YouTube later. And, um, you know, we check like I, I love it. Sometimes we look and, oh, my gosh, 55,000 people viewed it. Oh, this is good. And um, I do a second one for AccuQuilt. That's the first Friday of every month. They run around an hour to an hour and a half. They are not real quick programs. People can feel like they're sitting in the audience. I do it in front of a live audience. And uh, we record it. And then we put it out later for people to to watch. But um, the people, the audience asks questions. I fool around. I make mistakes. The mistakes are sometimes they're just left in there and make everybody laugh. And people that sit home and watch it tell me that they use it for their entertainment, their education. And so how does, how did the, so you have a live audience who comes to your, to your warehouse studio space and sits there and watches. And, and so is that something people can, can sign up to do if they're, if they're in the, it's in San Diego County, right? Is that where you are? So if somebody's visiting, how, how can they get in this audience? They can that, well, I do have a store. Um, it, our building is made up of the studio, the control room, the uh, classroom, which is very large. There is a store that they can go to, quilt shop. Um, they have we have a second area that's like discount fabrics. We have the shipping and receiving. We have the art department. We have the sewing room, the customer service. So it's quite a large complex. It yes, anybody that comes to San Marcos. Uh, we are in an industrial area, but they can visit. Um, we're open every day of the week. Um, actually, on Sundays, we host a modern quilt guild. So we're even open on 
uh, Sundays. And so if they're in the area on the first Friday or the second Tuesday, they can sit in the live audience and just watch it. We have guests all the time from all over the country, all over the world, really. And um, a lot of times people just walk in the front door and say, I'm here to meet Eleanor. That's what they told me yesterday. Oh, and and my... um, my sales ladies, they come and get me and I say, okay, I'll come over as soon as I put on lipstick. (laughs) (laughs) I just step over and meet them. Uh um, Okay. So that's wonderful that people want to come in and visit. That would be great. And, and you know, you're, you're in your seventies now, is that right? I am. I'm 72. 72. Okay. So that's around the age that people start to say, well, are you going to retire? Are you going to keep going? And so I'll I'll ask the question, any, what are your plans for the future? (laughs) Well, I have, I have like two housefuls of unfinished quilts. I'd love to just stop and finish them. But um, I know next year is my 40th year and we're already planning quite a year with uh, a special book. And I think I'm going to call it Memories Quilt. It will be a sampler. I will teach one block a month. And um, we've asked for people to submit uh, memory stories of something that we might have shared together, maybe a photograph. And um, I know that I'm going to be around next year for sure, my 73rd year. Um, After that, I keep on saying I want to cut back a little bit, but I don't think I'll ever be able to just totally quit. I I would love to do um, quilts of valor quilts, opportunity quilts, um, things like that with groups of people because I surely have enough scraps and unfinished things that we could just, we could we could cover almost the whole world. <laughs> much of it. Yeah, no, I bet that that's true. And I know you have five grandchildren who you just love spending time with as well. I and do. yeah, and I saw I them do. on one of your live videos and or uh, a video I watched recently. I think it might have been one of the live ones and they're absolutely adorable. So congratulations on, on your Thank growing you. family. Thank um, you. Yeah, and I, I want to... Um, make sure we get to some of your recommendations. And one of them actually has to do with being a grandma. So you have a book that you think that (laughs) you should, that all grandmas should read to their grandkids. And it's called Uh, How to Babysit a Grandma by Jean Regan. It is great. We have to read that together almost every night and we laugh every time. But there's a companion book also called How to Babysit a Grandpa. And that's just as much fun at our house. Okay, good. That's a great book recommendation. I will definitely go check it out and have my mom check it out as well. Yeah, Um, yeah. And then you wanted to recommend your AccuQuilt Go Big. Yes, I I really love my um, my cutting machine. I uh, fell and tore my rotator cuff. I I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, but it's it's really um, limited my um, ability. And I was really afraid that I was going to, you know, have to give up my quilting. I mean, I can't even really rotary cut and um, square up pieces. So it's just really saved me. 
And, um, and it's just, I, I've, um, I really enjoy doing it. I am actually a spokesperson for AccuQuilt now, and I'm writing patterns that other people, I guess, you know, as we get older, I just say, really, don't believe it. It doesn't get any better. You start getting other things that um, kind of slow you down and uh, something like a cutting tool really helps you extend your quilting yeah, success. Absolutely. That's a great tip. And, and I wonder too, whether even though it wasn't your choice necessarily to use a cutting machine, but now that you have become so familiar with it, maybe it opens up some creative outlets that wouldn't have been opened if you hadn't gone down that path anyway. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, and then I, I wanted to, to have you talk just a little bit for your third recommendation about Ruby McKim, whose book, it sounds like, was the very first quilting book that you ever got. Yes, it was. I bought it for $1.95. And I took many of her quilts, many of her blocks that she showed in that book and figured out how to make you know, quick methods and turn them into quilts. And I, I love her story. Um, I collect many of her antique quilts myself, and they are my inspiration, you know, for getting um, other quilts done. I certainly admire her. She's my hero. People say when you admire somebody, who's your hero? It's Ruby McKim. So she who, said, who was she and when did she write oh, this book? This was a long time back. It was, um, it was a reprint by Dover and you can still buy it, um, on Amazon or, you know, look it up on the internet. Um, she was, um, a designer. She started out, she was an art teacher and she started designing some little, um, uh, illustrated, she would illustrate and hand stitch blocks for kids. Um, really cute little things, applique. And then she started doing piece, um, quilts from based on, based on history. She would, uh, show how the line drawing went and she would put the patterns together. And she and her husband had this business. She was similar to me. She worked out of her home and she sold these patterns and she went around the country, uh, showing or encouraging newspapers to carry a newspaper column every week. And she would write it and submit her block and her pieces. And um, she really, it, she was well known in the late 20s and the early 30s. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure when that um, book by Dover, I feel like it came out in 74. I'm not sure. But her uh, granddaughters have continued um offering her patterns and such. And this past year, we did some of her smaller projects. We we did a little bonnet that she made, and I put it on Becca, one of my young granddaughters. She We did a little sewing bag and different things. Oh, a lettuce keeper. By the way, it's like she um, showed how to do a, a, just a, a muslin sacks, not a sack, sort of a gathered sack. She did beautiful embroidery work on it and she kept her lettuce in it. And I go, oh my gosh, 
So now that's what I do because yeah. keep your lettuce really fresh. <laughs> I've never right. heard of a lettuce keeper, but that is yeah. kind of brilliant yeah. and definitely eco-friendly, which is a nice yes. thing. Uh, she was ahead of her time that way. And um, uh, so so it's interesting. She was like almost a role model for you or, or someone. Yeah. And I, I think you've played that role in, in so many of our lives. So that's a really nice loop there. <laughs> you closed Absolutely. That loop. Yeah. yeah. Well, Eleanor, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walshy Naps podcast. I so enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. And you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's podcast episode was sponsored by Glass Eyes Online. Glass Eyes Online is your go-to source for glass eyes, plastic safety eyes, and noses, joints, and insertion tools for your creative projects. Use their eyes, noses, and joints in sewing, crochet, needle felting, amigurumi, knitting, sculpture, wood carving, puppetry, teddy bear and doll making, and many other arts and craft projects. Glass Eyes Online is a family-owned and operated business located in the Low Country, South Carolina, and it ships worldwide. Jerry handcrafts the insertion tools and paints the iridescent and sparkle eyes himself. Use that coupon code ABBY1017 to get free shipping on your $25 order in October. Thank you so much, Glass Eyes Online. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.